Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, a amazing passage of God's Word. I have loved studying this part of God's Word in the past week. And um, we'll see very quickly, maybe you already are noticing as you turn there, that this is a long chapter um, of God's Word, 57 verses. And the chapter tells the story, perhaps the most well-known story of the whole Bible, of David and Goliath. And we're not going to read every single verse of 1 Samuel 17, but I want to guide us through. I want to read most of it this morning because it's often the case, I always find, that when we actually read a story from the Bible that we think we already knew quite well, when we look at the words of God's Word and and actually study it, new things will open up right before us as we read a story like Noah's Ark or Daniel and the lion's den, or Jesus' miracles, or the resurrection stories of Jesus. And so it's so good for us not just to have the children's storybook Bible version in our minds, which is often the case, but that we would actually go to the Word of God and read the Word of God. And, and so with that in mind, I, I want to read almost all of 1 Samuel 17 today. Taking that into consideration, I've written a bit of a shorter sermon today. And um, we'll start, of course, at verses 1 through 4, and then I'll describe some things in the middle um, for, for our time's sake and, and guide us through uh, to verse 54. So uh, settle in, just enjoy the story, don't be stressed by a long scripture passage today. In fact, I think we should be excited when, um, when we're going to read a lot of God's word in, in worship. Um, having already prayed, let's look at 1 Samuel 17, starting at verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Ezekah, in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up a line, sorry, drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and, the Israel, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And then in verses 5 through 8, we find a, a vivid description of Goliath. His armor is impressive, his shield, his sword, his weapons are intimidating, he is a spectacle to behold, a physically imposing figure, um, someone who is intimidating to the people of Israel. Then we continue at verse 8. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants." But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the, Phil- and the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. 
And so, in the following verses, between 12 and 22, Goliath challenges Israel for 40 days. He's challenging them. And then the camera shifts over to Jesse, who is in Bethlehem. Remember, Jesse is David's father. And Jesse sends his son David to the battle to bring supplies to his brothers. And so, instead of laying low, David goes right to the battle lines. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 22, where um, David is bringing supplies, but um, we find here he left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. Again, we're at verse 23 now. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear that took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. 
And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come, with, come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to, to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his, its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from the Shaarim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Everyone knows that Goliath was a giant. But there's another word that describes Goliath in 1 Samuel 17 that will help us understand even more fully the meaning and the lesson of this story. We're told three times in this story that Goliath is a champion. For example, in 1 Samuel 17, verse 4, and there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. This word for champion is an interesting word to study in the original Hebrew language. Today we associate a champion with somebody who wins, that you can't be called a champion until you're a winner. But in the ancient Hebrew text, the word has more to do with being a representative of an army. And so the champion would be the one who went out as a representative from the army and stood in between. The, the literal translation of this passage would be more, there came out from the the camp of the Philistines a man of the space in between named Goliath of Gath. And I I really like that 
that more cumbersome, less polished translation, that, that Goliath was a man of the space in between. And of course, the space in between refers to the area between the two armies, this valley of Elah, where Israel is on one hillside, the Philistines are on the other, and Goliath enters the valley, the space in between. This passage might evoke images of World War I, where there was trench warfare, lines that were drawn, lines that would remain for months. And in between those trenches, those battlefronts, was called no man's land. So Goliath was the one who went into no man's land, the representative warrior from the Philistine army. That less polished translation describes Goliath, and it also describes Israel's problem in so much of the story. Most of the attention of this story is on Israel needing a man who will go into the space in between. Most of the attention isn't so much on how Goliath was big and David was small. That is part of the purpose of the story. But so much of it is that Israel lacks a champion. Israel lacks a man with the courage to go out from the battle lines and to meet Goliath in the valley. Until David arrives, there was no one in Israel with that courage, with that faith, who would go into the space between. Of course, we know now, having just read the passage and knowing the story very well, that that man is David. And when David approaches Goliath, the text notes that that when the two meet each other, there are many stark differences between Goliath and David. Of course, the contrast is in their size, but it's also in their experience in battle. But the greatest difference that we see when Goliath and David meet in this valley is their reasoning, their motivation for going to meet one another in battle. It's very clear in the passage that Goliath goes to the space in between because he trusts himself. He believes in himself because he's defeated other enemies before and he assumes that Israel and any warrior that they would send out will be no different. Goliath goes into the middle because he believes in himself. David goes into the middle because he believes in the Lord. Not so much because he's so confident in in himself, although, although the Lord has done great things and slaying bears and lions through David in in the past. But we can see this this great difference between Goliath's motivation and David's motivation in verses 45 to 47. Again, the attention is not so much on the size of the warriors, but on the motivation of the warriors. David says, "'You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin.'" Essentially, David's saying, that's why you're here, because you think you're so great with your weapons and your armor. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. There's David's motivation. He wants the whole world to know that Israel's God is a great God. And so all the assembly will know that the Lord saves, not with a sword and spear. And David 
uses a word here that doesn't describe an army. So instead of that all those in the army will know, he actually uses a word that had more to do with a congregation, a, a group of worshipers. So all the congregation, all the assembly, all those people who are watching will now know that the Lord saves not with a sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. So what is David's motivation for entering this space between, this valley of battle? David's authority is from God. He says, I come in the name of the Lord. David's confidence is in the Lord. The Lord will deliver you into my hand. And the purpose of David's victory will be for the exaltation of God's name. All the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And, and, and David's motivation is so perfectly summarized by this great line, for the battle belongs to the Lord. What inspires David to become the man of the space in between is faith in the Lord. We think of the great passage of Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Moses. We can say, by faith, David entered the space in between and defeated Goliath. By faith, this happened to the Lord's renown. This morning, we'll draw two applications from the story of David's victory. First, we'll ask, how does this victory describe the work of Christ, and how does the faith of David inspire us to follow Jesus with faith today? So first, how is Jesus the greater David? That's a good question that you could ask when reading any Old Testament passage. How does this show something of the character of God and particularly the ministry of Christ? Well, think again of the phrase, the man of the space in between. That was how the champion was described. That's how Goliath was described, and it's how uh, David acted as well. He was the one who went into the valley, the one who went into the space between the armies. That's Jesus' ministry. The man of the space in between. That's Jesus' life. Because we are like those Israelites cowering at the battle line. All of us, by nature, are full of fear. Fear of far more than a giant who would intimidate us. Fear of far worse enemies like death. Fear of hell. Like an Israelite hearing Goliath's taunts, we see those very formidable enemies, and there is, we realize there is no conceivable way we could defeat death. There is no conceivable way that we in our own power, in our frailty, could defeat death or could deliver ourselves from hell. And so we stand like the Israelites on the battle line waiting for a man of the space in between who will go, who can defeat those enemies. Brothers and sisters, when your mind is fixed on your inability and weakness compared to the power of sin and death and disease and despair, you will be afraid at times. But then Jesus, the greater David, enters the picture, enters the battle, 
goes forth to defeat those enemies. Jesus is, in the New Testament, often called the Son of David. And when we hear that name of Jesus, we should think of how he defeats the enemies of the kingdom of God. Jesus is the Son of David who glorifies the name of the Lord by defeating God's enemies. Jesus did not appear as an impressive warrior like David, but was a shepherd to his people. Jesus was not deterred by the fears of people around him. Certainly, Jesus had people, even his own disciples, saying, no, you shouldn't go and and die on a cross and allow yourself to be captured. You have more things to do. And these people who are full of fear, often dissuading Jesus from fulfilling the Father's will for him. The same was the case in David's own situation where his brother comes to him to convince him, you're just a, a sort of a foolish youth with delusions of grandeur. Go away, says Eliab to David. But Jesus, like David, has the courage to continue. Jesus was the man of the space between, and we find descriptions in the Bible of Jesus in this way, where Jesus is called a mediator. That's what we should think of, the man who would go between sinful humanity and reconcile us to God. 1 Timothy 2, 5-6, through For there is one God and there is one mediator. This is individual combat. <laughs> there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all. So it's only Christ who could go into that space in between to deliver us. Jesus earned a victory then that he also shares with those who are on his side. Brothers and sisters, you contribute as much to your salvation as the Israelites contributed to David defeating Goliath. Nothing. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory. He shares the victory. He won over sin, over Satan, over death with those of us who trust in him. So we might ask, what did Jesus defeat by dying on the cross? What did Jesus defeat by, uh, through his resurrection? 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 58. What did Jesus defeat? Death is swallowed up in victory a far greater victory than David's over Goliath. Jesus defeated death itself so that, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? This is a passage about the resurrection of Christ. uh, This death is defeated in his resurrection. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, what did Jesus defeat? The power of sin, death itself, uh, our first uh, Lord's Day of the Heidelberg Catechism, that he has delivered us from the tyranny of the devil. He is the man of the space in between, the man who went forward to defeat those enemies of the kingdom of God. So, some people will stop there with the connection to Jesus perhaps the most famous sermon in recent years on this passage, a minister saying, you're not David. Jesus is David. 
Now, that is true that Jesus is the greater David, but I think there is also a moral lesson for us to pull from this passage. The moral lesson that we can take away is to follow Christ, to follow Jesus out into the space between. What will it look like to live a Christian life? What will it look like to follow Jesus, to live with courage, to live with faith, and to do God's will for us? Three very quick applications, moral lessons that we can bring out of 1 Samuel 17. The first marker of a Christian who follows Jesus is that you will not be afraid. Do not be afraid. How many times do the scriptures have to remind us, do not be afraid? Why? Not because you're so great or you can trust in yourself and the power is within you and um, you'll fulfill your dreams, that health and wealth false gospel. Do not be afraid because God is a great God and God delivers us, his people. When you're tempted to be afraid, compare the power of what you're afraid of to the power of God. That's exactly what David did in this story. He sees this man who is intimidating Israel, but David sees it from the perspective where he knows God. He's been worshiping God out in the fields, taking care of his sheep. He's been singing to God. He's living a life full of worship, knowing the goodness of God. And then he comes to see this large, physically impressive man, but he compares the giant Goliath to, to God, not to himself. And so David goes into, into battle knowing that God is far greater than the strength of, of Goliath. All the Israelites could see was a powerful giant, but David knew that compared to God, Goliath was nothing. Think about what is discouraging and concerning to you today. What is concerning to you? What is causing you to worry or to be afraid? Is it a temptation that you'll know that you'll face again? God is so much greater than any temptation that you could face. Is it a difficult conversation that you know is, is coming with maybe a family member or a coworker that you know the Lord has pressed upon you to go and have a difficult conversation with somebody? God is so much greater, is so much more powerful than that worry regarding that relationship. Or maybe you have a boss who is a lot like Goliath, taunting, blaspheming God's name. Brothers and sisters, God is greater. I had a conversation with someone recently, not someone that any of you know. I was not in this area even. And this person was a pastor, and we were just talking about ministry. And uh, this person was sounding a lot like Eeyore from Winnie, Winnie the Pooh. You know, that's kind of how I envision the Israelite lines. A bunch of Eeyores. Oh boy. Here comes Goliath again. He's going to make fun of our God. Well, I guess we'll just have to stand here and listen. And this person that I was talking with, who is a pastor, was sounding so much like Eeyore, talking about his ministry well, I guess Christian ministry is pretty tough sometimes. I guess it's kind of hard to do this work. I guess we'll just 
you know, do the tough work of ministry. And I wanted to, to grab him by the shoulders and shake him. Our God is a great God. This, this way that ministry, that the Christian life, is talked about in a kind of Eeyore, depressed, mopey, defeatist way has no place in the church. Why? Our God is a great God. He's a God of resurrection. That's what I, I said to this, this pastor who was so mopey. I said, our God is a great God, man. We've got good work to do. Have you thought lightly about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? That's our message. That's our ministry. That's our God. Think of, of David coming to the, the battle line. He sees all these depressed, sad Israelites. David comes to the battle line. He, what is going on here? Listen to this guy. He's offending our God. He's blaspheming our God. What are you doing about it? Brothers and sisters, that's Christian ministry. It's to trust our God. It's to live with faith. Not faith in ourselves, but faith in Christ. Have you thought recently about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? Have you compared your troubles and your worries to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? After teaching about that passage on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul continues in the very next verses, right after he's saying, Jesus is risen from the dead, he's defeated death. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This passage the resurrection of Jesus, certainly 1 Samuel 17, causes fear to flee away. Fear has no place in Christian ministry. There's no place for this mopey, woe is us, life is hard, I guess we'll do some difficult things in the church, defeatist attitude. We learn from David, even more so we learn from the resurrection of Jesus. God is a great God. Secondly, and quickly, do not be discouraged by people who doubt God. There will be people who doubt God and who doubt His power who would come to you when you're living courageously with faith and they would say, like Eliab said to David, no, just just go away, okay? You're never going to win that battle. So just give up and go back home. Remember David's older brother Eliab's words to David. He criticized his brother because he was showing faith. And the problem wasn't so much that David was living with faith, it was that Eliab was living without faith. (laughs) Was that Eliab doubted God, doubted his power. So it isn't pride if you believe in God's power and God's faithfulness. Some doubters will try to convince you that it's spiritual pride to live with faith, to believe the Word of God. Some people who doubt the Word of God and who doubt the plan of God will certainly have worked their way even into Christian Reformed churches and said, no, that's, that sounds too clear, it sounds too proud, it sounds 
like you have too much confidence and we need, we need less of that. It's, the, it's not the problem of the believer. That's the problem of the doubter in that conversation. So this issue with, between David and Eliab, is, it's not David's fault that he comes to the battle lines and is full of faith and wants to go and fight. The issue is with Eliab. He's the one sinning in that scenario. Do not let doubters distract you or discourage you from trusting in God. Do not let doubters distract you from living with faith, trusting the Word of God. Thirdly and finally, the more, one of the moral lessons we can gain is that the giants that you will face probably won't look like giants. Probably will be regular things that you face every day. Many of Jesus' followers believed that the giant of his day was the Roman Empire. And that's what they wanted Jesus to defeat. The Roman Empire was like the greater Goliath in a lot of ways against Israel in, that, in Jesus' day. But that's not what Jesus came to do, is to win military victories over the Roman Empire. And so... It's the same kind of way often in our own lives. That for some of you, your Goliath, your adversary, will be taming your own tongue. Will be using your speech in a way that builds up instead of tears down. And that could feel sometimes like an imposing giant that is against you. For those who are parents, your adversary, which is a powerful one, is impatience and frustration with your children. That, that creeping up of frustration and impatience with children who are disobeying and not doing what is required, what, it, what you have instructed, that's the giant that many parents of little children will face from day to day. And for all of us, the giants that you will face this week are, are distraction from God's mission in your life, are discouragement and the giant of your own sin. Like David's battle with Goliath, those battles belong to the Lord. All of those battles belong to God. God is over each one. And Jesus has defeated those enemies. And we fight against them by faith in his power. We fight against sin in Jesus' power by faith. Concluding words from Herman Bavinck. In his amazing sermon, The World-Conquering Power of Faith, may we receive this fight, this fight against sin, and set about it and and persevere in it to the end in the power of the Lord, in the power of faith. No other weapon strengthens and trains us for this faith than faith alone that Jesus is the Christ. There is no strength in us or in any creature in heaven and on earth, but Jesus, the Son of Mary, the only begotten of the Father, he is the hero from Judah's line, who conquered the world through his cross. We enter into his work. We rest on his victory. We receive his merits. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's